If you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to John chapter 20? Uh, we'll be getting there eventually, and uh, I'll set it up for you this way. Um, last week, as is, is Joy mentioned, we looked back over the 65-year history of this church, and um, wasn't that fun? I was kind of hoping when I said 65 that last week might spill over, but no, that's okay. It's too late now. It's too late now. Uh, we look back over the 65-year history of this church, and um, man, I mean, what we saw, if you weren't here, was a God-sized story. Uh, the incredible things have happened here that can really only be explained uh, by the fact that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is building his church as people step out in faith and bank on him to do what he promised to do 2,000 years ago. Um, our story, if, if you're just joining us here at Fair Oaks, it's really a God-sized story. Um, the way that we said it last week was in the great things that have happened here, uh, God has made himself known. Um, and so what we're going to do today now, if we looked back last week, is uh, maybe you can guess this. We're going to look forward um, and look at how you and I can join in that story that Jesus is writing uh, in this place. Because um, what we see in the scriptures is um, the, the story we looked at last week, it shouldn't be strange to us. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, it's a miraculous story, it's an amazing story, um, but what you see in the scriptures is that's exactly what the Christian life is meant to be. That's exactly what the church is meant to be. This miraculous community on a miraculous mission with a miraculous Savior who is empowering all of that. And, and just as we get going this morning, I just want to ask you to begin to reflect as we, as we pivot and look ahead. Is that how you tend to think about the church? Um, because I think it's really easy to hear stories like we heard last week and say, well, that was then. Um, it's very easy to read the New Testament and go, well, of course they're seeing this happen. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. But my hope is that the story we saw last week might take that away from you. Um, that you might uh, have to come to a place where you say, okay, I know that the Jesus who turned the world upside down through the apostles 2,000 years ago is still with his people, still building his church today in our day. And here's what I want to make the point today. Um, that did not stop with the invention of the internet. Um, God did not sit up in heaven and see the invention of Facebook and go, okay, kind of huddle the Trinity up, go, okay, we've got to have a new plan now. I think Mark Zuckerberg's got this thing that's really going to work. So the church, that was great, but post kind of 1980s, we're going to get on social media over here. That, that's not God's plan to transform the world. That The church remains Jesus's means of working in the world. And so what we're going to look at today um, is really how you and I can join in that because Jesus has given his church one mission. Um, one, uh, you know, if we want to join in what he's doing, we got to understand what he wants to do through the church. And so that'll actually bring us to John chapter uh, 20. Um, this is a, a mission. This is a conversation that the resurrected Jesus had after he uh, defeated death, showed up to his disciples. This is a conversation where he gives them the one mission uh, that has driven the church ever since. Uh, John chapter 20, we'll pick it up in verse 19. It says, On the evening of that day, the, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace to you. Uh, if we were unpacking the whole chapter, you would know that Jesus just appeared to Mary Magdalene a few verses earlier, and he said, Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell the disciples. And so Mary goes and tells them, and what's their response? They're terrified. 
Because like, people don't come back from the dead. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't want to assume their motives. Maybe they think this woman's crazy. People don't come back from the dead. Or if someone does come back from the dead, I don't know what they're going to do to us. But the disciples are terrified. And Jesus shows up among them. And I love his response. What does he say to them? Dum-dums, you didn't listen to Mary? He says, peace be with you. Isn't that a great response? God draws near to them in their doubt after raising from the dead, and he says, peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Um, So Jesus kind of shows them, hey, I'm not a ghost. This isn't a hallucination. You can touch my body. You can see that I'm bodily raised from the dead. And and John says the disciples, we were glad, because John was there when he's, he's writing this. He says, we were glad. Like, you think? Um, What that means is everything Jesus has taught them and claimed in the gospel of John so far is true. And we haven't been in John's gospel, but we've been in Mark's gospel for the better part of the year. And so hopefully you know some of the things that Jesus taught and claimed and did. Um, that his claim that death would be defeated is true, that his claim that the kingdom of God is invading this broken world, that darkness is on the run, that new creation has dawned. This is why they're glad. They're like, oh my goodness, just when we thought all hope was lost, Jesus proved to be exactly who he says he is. And it's in this moment where everything is clicking, we get verse 21. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. That's it right there. That is our one uh, mission. That is the one mission that the resurrected Jesus gave to his church 2,000 years ago. And that is the mission that the people of God, where they have given themselves to this mission, have seen Jesus do exactly what he promised, to build his church in a way that the gates of hell would not be able to prevent, to stop, or contain. Um, And if you go on to read the book of Acts that tells the story of the early church, you'll see that this mission, it animated the lives of the first Jesus followers. And and, and it animated those who followed them so much so that the good news of Jesus defeating death spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth, like way out there in California in this place called Diablo Valley. As people have given themselves to this mission, the resurrected Jesus has continued to spread the good news that can say to freaked out, anxious people, peace be to you. Darkness is on the run. New creation is on the rise. Peace be to you. And this is the story that you and I get to join in today. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. All right, let's pray. Um, I'm mostly kidding. I love to see that you bowed your heads and you were all ready to go. I like, I will unpack this statement today um, because uh, I want to unpack this statement today because uh, maybe if you've been in church for a while, like a lot of you bowed your heads. I love that. You're ready to pray. You're ready to go get it. I love it. Um, If you've been around church for a while, maybe you've heard this statement before, but what I want to do today is unpack this statement uh, to really help us understand what is it mean when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. Because I think sometimes, if we don't have a clear understanding of what Jesus is saying here, we can miss out on the mission. We can sit on the sidelines and kind of um, interpret that to be, as the Father sent me, so I sent you. Um, So we'll um, hire a church staff to kind of uh, make known Jesus and invite our friends to church. and, and, And that's the mission. But that's not what Jesus is describing here. He's describing something much bigger than that. And so what I want to do today uh, is really uh, look at how did the Father send Jesus? 
As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So what we're going to do today is look at how did the Father send Jesus, and then we're going to think about, okay, then what implications does that have for us in this day in Diablo Valley who have been sent by Jesus in the same manner into this community? Um, And and the reason that I want to do that is because, uh, as I've said a couple of times, when the people of Jesus join him on this mission, Jesus shows up and does the incredible. And is that something you want to see in our day? All right. Well, then let's go. Uh, We're going to actually use a very famous verse today to help us understand uh, maybe this less famous verse in John chapter 20. Uh, You could keep your finger in John 20 and flip back a few pages to John chapter 3. Some of you won't even need to turn there. If you went through Awanas like me, you're like, I'm good. I got it. John 3, 16. If you've been to a football game, you've definitely seen the reference. You might know the verse by heart. Um, But this is going to, this is a verse really about how the Father sent the Son that would, um, I'm praying, help us understand how the Son has sent us into the world. Are you with me? Okay. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Um, That right there, I think, is one of the most beautiful and yet misunderstood statements in all of Scripture. Um, And this week, I was just um, thinking, Lord, where do we take this? I mean, there's so many things that I want to say about this verse. Don't worry, I'm going to limit myself to two, okay? Um, I want to talk about life and love. Life and love uh, in this very famous verse that will help us understand how Jesus is sending us into the world. So let's start with the first and talk about life. Um, Most people, if you ask them to explain this verse, will give you some version of this. It might not be these words, but if you said, what does John 3.16 mean? You might get this. Um, God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that when we die, we go to the good place instead of the bad place when we die. Um, Have you heard some version of this? Uh, And that's not uh, wrong so much as it is woefully incomplete is the case I'm going to make to you today. Um, it's not wrong uh, that Jesus has died on the cross, that that, does, that reality does affect our eternity for all who believe in him. But by making this a message simply about the death of Jesus and the state of our life after our death, we've significantly limited a much bigger statement that Jesus is making in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Um, I said earlier the common understanding is incomplete. Um, And the problem with it being incomplete is in its incompleteness, I think some people see Jesus as frankly irrelevant to their lives here and now. And and maybe you can understand why. If John 3.16, like the heart of the good news, is about something that will happen to you way after you die— then you might conclude, well, that's not very relevant to me right now. I mean, that was certainly my story. Um, I grew up in the church. I went through Awanas. I certainly memorized John 3.16 along with many other scriptures. Um, And I, like, believed intellectually what they were saying. Like, I believe that Jesus was who he says he is. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he came back from the dead. I'll just be honest with you. I just didn't care. Um, like I, I assented to these things, I checked the box, but when it came to like my everyday life, it didn't seem of 
um, importance to how I would live every day. It seemed like importance for like way down the line someday. And so my response um, was, okay, if Jesus is irrelevant to my life here and now, um, well, then what I did is I got into rock and roll and I got into girls and I thought, I want to be fully alive and I'm going to give myself to these things. And uh, my thinking was, um, as I get older and nearer to death, then I'll come back to Jesus because eternity does sound like a long time and I want to make sure to get my ducks in a row. Um, Now, I'm not saying this was a good idea. Some of you are looking at me like, you dummy, you could have been hit by a bus at any time. I know, I was a teenager. Teenagers are not thinking straight, right? Some of you, obviously, it's been a while since you've had teenagers in the home. Um, Yeah, I was, I mean, just to let you into my thinking, I was thinking about this this week. I remember thinking, like, okay, when the rapture happens, I'll have seven years to get my life in order and to give my life to Jesus. That's what I was banking on. I'm not saying it was an intelligent thing to do. It was an insanely risky thing to do. But this is where I was at. That I saw Jesus as fundamentally um, irrelevant to my life at best, or possibly a hindrance at worst when you consider all the things he has to say morally. And um, some of you might not say it that bluntly. This is me many years later looking back over my story, thinking about what was I thinking there. You might not say it that bluntly, but um, if you have ever been there, um, if you have children that are presently there right now, that um, they're not hostile toward God, they just think that, like, how does Jesus actually relate to my life? If that's where you are at, I want you to look right at me. That's not the offer Jesus is making here. Jesus is not speaking exclusively about what happens after you die. And the reason I can say that with confidence is if you keep reading in the Gospel of John, like let Jesus interpret his own words, John 5, 24, he's going to talk about people who have present tense possession and experience of eternal life. So if we're going to take the text seriously, this talk of eternal life cannot be for something that only begins after we die. It has to be something that begins now. For Jesus, eternal life was a concept that begins right here, right now, and it's meant to change everything. And here's how I think we can make sense of that. If your brain is hurting, if you're like eternity bursting into now, how does all of that work? Here's a way that I think can make sense of this. Um, C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, points out that in the Greek language, in the language the New Testament was originally written in, there's actually two different words for life. And I think this can help us understand the offer Jesus is making here. Uh, The first word um, that they could have used for life is bios, from which we get, can you guess what word we get from that? Biology. Um, Yeah, exactly. Bios is kind of the study of um, physical life, living, moving, breathing. I don't know, the sort of thing that you would discuss in biology class. I did very bad in biology class. That's why I had to look at my notes to remember. Oh yeah, bios is the physical, living, moving, breathing things. Um, So that's one way that we could talk about life, the idea of physically having breath in our lungs. But then the Greek language has another word for life. It's the word zoe. It's a beautiful word, right? Now, I want you to respond to that because um, I wanted to name our middle girl this, and Karen totally overruled me on that. I'm not still carrying any bitterness there, huh? (laughs) You guys are smart. You're like, we're not getting involved in that one, okay? Uh, But this word Zoe, um, it's also translated life in our New Testament, but what Zoe is referring to is um, a type of life that is beyond mere existence. It's referring to um, being truly alive. 
Um, If you've ever uh, been in love, you know that there is a type of, there's a difference between living and truly living. Are you with me? Um, If you've ever had your sports team win a championship, you've tasted of a higher plane. Um, Now, I'm theorizing right now because I'm a Sharks fan, but I've been told um, that you can have these glimpses or moments. Now, they're fragile and they're fleeting. They're not eternal like the life Jesus brings, but they are glimpses that we can see of a type of higher existence that we can say, okay, I feel truly alive right now until that relationship ends or until training camp comes the next year and you can't defend the title. I don't know what it is, but I think we've all experienced this in glimpses, right? Now, let me ask you, what word do you think Jesus, what word do you think is used in John 3, 16 here? Karen says, Zoe, are you thinking that would have been a good name now? I'm just kidding. But Karen's tracking with me. Some of you are tracking with me. Zoe, that's right. So let me me put this all together now, right? Um, What Jesus is fundamentally saying is that God so loved the world that he sent me, the Son, the eternal Son, So that whoever would believe in me would not um, experience death, but would experience Zoe. What he's saying is that the Father sent me into this broken world where people, they're physically alive, but they're not really alive. They're not really living. They're not experiencing the life they were made for. And the Father sent me to cure them of that condition. To enter in where there is brokenness and justice and death and bring life and flourishing and love and goodness like I designed the world to be. To bring us eternal, everlasting Zoe. To restore our relationship with the author of life, the one from whom all Zoe, that higher plane of existence, flows so that everything else in our life can be put back as it was made to be. And we can sit back and reflect on our lives and say, in Jesus, we have tasted a type of life that is truly life, as the New Testament will later put it. And and yes, this life is eternal. Unlike bios that is winding down and nearing death, um, Zoe, the life that Jesus brings, it will go on forever and forever and ever. But the point I'm trying to make in all of this is that it begins now. The life that Jesus is offering in John 3, 16, it stretches on to eternity and it begins right now. And I'm telling you that touches on every longing you've ever had. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is the life giver, that he came to bring you, to connect you to life as it was made to be. The way he'll say it in John 10, 10, I don't have a slide for this one, but this is our Wi-Fi password, so you'll want to write the reference down. John 10, 10. Uh, he says, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly, that they might have it to the full. Um, The reason I'm pressing on this life piece is because Satan has done such a good job of getting us to reverse this one and think it's backwards, right? Like how often do we think Jesus is just cramping my style? That Jesus, he's so restrictive in the things he says. If only I could get out from underneath the thumb of Jesus and do whatever I want to do, then I could be fully alive. That is the same lie that the serpent was spewing in the garden back in Genesis 3. What Jesus says is, no, that gets it all wrong. There is a thief named Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy by lying to you, by making you think that you're smarter than me, that you know flourishing better than I do. But I have come to turn the lie of Satan on his head. 
to bring life where there was death, to take people that are experiencing perishing and destruction in their lives right now and to bring them life in their life right now so that their eternity might not be marked by destruction and perishing, but might be marked by everlasting life. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, he didn't come to do that. He came to bring us life. He came to bring us Zoe to the full. And for all of us who believe in Jesus, this eternal life, it's not just a gift we receive. Um, It's a gift we receive, but then it becomes, for those who receive this gift, it becomes a mission that we get to play a part in, right? Take this back to John 20. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you and I are called to live a sinless life and die for the sins of our friends, neighbors, and coworkers. Amen. Right? Like, that's good news, right? Like, Jesus did that. You never could. I don't care how special your mom tells you is you weren't going to be able to do it. But Jesus has done what we cannot. So the pressure isn't on us to live a perfect life, to die for sin, to rise again. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. Jesus took care of all that. What it does mean, however is that as you and I who believe in Jesus, who trust in Jesus, now imperfectly, but truly, as we increasingly submit our life to the leadership of Jesus and enjoy the life that he died in order to bring us, then we are sent by Jesus to bring that life to the people around us and to spread that life to the world around us in word and deed. Um, If you've been here with us in Mark, you know this. The way that Jesus would spread life, it was always in two things, word and deed. He would always tell the truth that the only way you'll actually have life is to know the creator who is the author of life from whom all good things flow. Um, And then he would always do it indeed. His words weren't cheap. He would show here's what life looks like when you're connected to God. Here's what relationships look like when your relationship with your creator is right. He would always spread the good news in word and deed. And that is what he sends us to do. As we enjoy the life of Jesus, we get to spread that life in word and deed to show our friends and neighbors, this is the life you are longing for. This is um, truly living. This is the existence that you are dying for, and it's found only in the person and work of Jesus. Now, before we talk about specifics for what that looks like in our day, Um, I want to quickly talk about the love piece here because the manner in which Jesus does this is important. And um, no one ever really reads the next verse. I mean, I'm sure some people do. Um, I think I might have been in college before I really paid attention to what the next verse said because John 3.16 was on all the memory cards. But it goes on in verse 17 to say this. Listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world— but in order that the world might be saved through him. Um, I think that is a fascinating statement, and someone else does, because I heard an amen, um, which I'm like, the dreams for the church are coming alive, man. Um, the Lord is at work here. Amen. Like that, it, it, is a, it is a fascinating statement, and I say that because um, here's what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say that no one is condemned. In fact, if you read on to verse 18, he's going to say, hey, before I came into the world, the whole world was already condemned. So he's not saying the world isn't messed up. The Bible is so much more honest than that. But 
he is saying something important about the posture of his mission. He says, the Father did not send me into the world to condemn the world. Um, if I can put that in modern terms, it's not like God saw something on Twitter and like lost his mind and was like, Jesus, get down there and light some fools up. God didn't send Jesus into the world for condemnation. He sent the Son for our salvation. There's a posture there that makes a world of a difference. What, what he's saying is, um, the Father sent me with a redemptive mission. My purpose, I didn't need to come to earth to condemn. Like, look at how messed up this place is. We condemn ourselves by our own actions. God didn't need to come to earth and live among us to condemn us. He could have sat in heaven and been like, are you kidding me? But God so loved the world that he sent his only son to enter the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. In other words, he sends the son with the redemptive mission. He says, get down there, save them, redeem them. They're in need of salvation. It is broken, so go, save, redeem, bring them life. And I would submit to you, this is the essence of what love does. Right? We were told that God so loved the world. Another way you could translate is that God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. Why did he do it? To condemn the world? To be like, you people have issues. No, he gave his only son so that his son could save us from our issues, could bring us a life that we would never earn and never deserve. He sent the son with a redemptive purpose. And that's what love does. It always responds to brokenness with redemption. Um, I've been thinking about a lot about this over the last week is, is we're raising young children. Um, and there's, uh, for anyone that doesn't believe in like total depravity, that just sin starts from birth and it's just there, uh, you need to get around some young kids, right? Like even infants, like I'm trying to sleep here. Like it's not, hey, when you get a second, it's now I'm hungry. And as they get older, I'm learning. It doesn't change. It just needs to be parented and pointed to Jesus and pleaded with the Lord to have life on it. So, so it is we have some brokenness in our home that we're trying to address. Um, I'm realizing to myself there is a difference in the posture I can take if my motivation is love versus just stop bothering me and causing so much craziness in this house right now. Right? The former posture is going to lead to a much more redemptive, um, maybe a much more costly response from me. But the latter, like I can easily just throw down the law and be like, you're done, stop it. But oftentimes that's more about my convenience than anything else. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't need anything from you and me. We weren't an inconvenience up to them in heaven where he's like, oh, this is so brutal. I can't take it. Jesus, get down there and stop it. That's how the pagan gods in the ancient Near Eastern world were. Um, but the God we read about in the Bible, he exists as Trinity in this perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, that he is love, that he is life in and of him very self. He needs nothing from you and I, and so he is free to simply give of that love, give of that life, not because he needs something from you, but because by his very nature, he is a life giver, he is a lover, he is life and love in and of himself. And, and if you're wondering, like, why am I pointing that out? Um, I say this because, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, I would say we live in a fairly hostile day today. Um, I would say that most people are walking around just dialed up to 11, just ready to explode if the first person disagrees with them. Am I the only one living in this universe? 
so, so we're, like, it is a hostile day. And let's have some real talk. It is very easy to respond to hostility with more hostility. It is very easy to respond to people making foolish and dumb decisions and be like, what's wrong with you people? And condemn and call it out and be like, what is wrong with all of your problems? But that's not the posture of the mission of Jesus. Jesus' posture is not to condemn and to criticize and to critique. His posture is to redeem and to love. And that is so much harder than simply critiquing and firing back at the people around us for being broken. See, it's easy to get grouchy and condemn culture, but as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Here's what that means. That means that we should not approach our mission from a posture of hostility, saying there's the bad, bad world out there and we need to protect ourselves from it, but that we should approach our mission from a posture of love that says there is a world out there that the God who is Trinity deeply loves just as he has loved me and he has sent me to express that love in word and deed. Let's go. Now, I I know the criticism is, so you're saying let's go soft on sin. If you've been here for longer than like a week, I hope you know that's not what I'm saying. Um, Jesus was not soft on sin. If you read a couple of chapters on, the religious leaders who were all about critiquing people um, brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And they're like, what should you do? And Jesus is like, well, hey, whoever hasn't sinned, why don't you condemn her? Jesus is addressing the sin in the religious leader's heart that's all about condemnation that isn't honest about their own brokenness. And and the interesting thing is at the end of that story, what he says to her is go and sin no more. Here's the point. Jesus isn't critical. He's not out to condemn and crush and uh, point out all of our flaws. At the same time, he's not here to celebrate what's truly broken. He is here to lovingly offer salvation and life where we are perishing and experiencing death. And so I'm not saying that we go soft on sin, but what I am saying is the church is at her best, not when she is crusty and griping about the culture, and not when she capitulates and celebrates what the word of God would call death and brokenness. The church of Jesus Christ is at her best when, like our Savior, we enter into brokenness with good news from a posture of love and say, there's more life for you than that. That's the posture with which God sends the Son. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That's the mission. I can try to just pull all of these threads together, what I'm saying is that means that Jesus is sending you and I to make known the life and the love of God wherever he has placed us. Um, For us, that is in Diablo Valley in 2021. Um, And so what I want to do now is let's chat about specifics. Because that's the mission that Jesus' church has always had. Um, But it's not just a general mission. It's a specific one that Jesus is with us today. There are particular things he wants to do in our valley in this day. That this valley, it looks different than it did 30, 40, 60 years ago. Um, One of the bulletins we captured had this image on it here uh, that we thought was taken somewhere in the early 80s. We tried to reproduce the shot. We couldn't because the valley's changed. This is what the valley looks like now. It it is more industrial. There is more uh, people here. There's a lot more that's different about the valley. But the point is, this is a timeless mission. But Jesus sends us in a timely way to embody that mission for the people that are here now. So I want to now turn to talk about some specifics. 
because uh, um, I'm trying to do attention here. I want you to see on the one hand, nothing we're saying today is fundamentally new. This is the, church, the mission that Jesus' church has been on for thousands of years. But I also want to say, I think it is important for us as the people of God to state that mission in a way that is timely and addresses the concerns of our day so that we can really participate in the mission and it doesn't just become churchy talk that we don't know what it means. And so as we talk about specifics, I want to lay a statement before you that um, this is how um, I am proposing that we think about Jesus's mission um, looking forward. Now, I don't know how long that is. I want the visionary in me wants to be like, here's for the next 65 years. I'm realistic to know if Jesus tarries that long, uh, which I'm like, Lord, come soon at this point. Uh, But if he tarries for 65, um, this might not be the way we say the mission all 65 years, because I'm pretty sure the stuff I'm doing right now, the next pastor is going to look at and be like, how old, what in the world was that old guy thinking? Uh, So I'm not giving you a forever wording. Everything we've said so far, that's a forever mission. Now let's talk about the wording for our day in this moment in which we find ourselves in. Here's the statement. We exist to bring the life of Jesus to Diablo Valley. That's a statement that I want us to rally around as a church, to take that John 20, 21 mission and put it into the present, to put it into this moment. We exist to bring the life of Jesus to Diablo Valley. Now, some of you might be like, um, Pastor, I, I think it's here. Like, look around the room. Um, to that, I would say two things. Um, number one, if you look at the statistics, we're one of the least church regions in the entire nation. Um, Right now, there's this uh, migration uh, from San Francisco uh, coming over here. People realizing that, hey, if we're going to be stuck in our homes, we might as well have a great yard. And so they move over here. I know this because we've tried to get into this area in the last year or year and a half whenever we uh, came here. Um, There's this migration of new people coming here. Uh, And it's not the same people that were here 30 years ago. I would say if you drive around, it's more common to see someone driving a Tesla than to see someone worshiping Jesus in this area now. And uh, here's what I want to say. I think there's an opportunity in this. This community looks different than it did 65 years ago. Uh, The people that are here today are not the same people that Fair Oaks has reached in the past. And in that, I think there is an opportunity that we can think afresh about what does it mean to express the life and the love of Jesus to the people that are coming here now? What does it mean to say to someone that moves here for the sake of having a yard, to be like, yards are great. Did you know that in the Lord's house there are many rooms and he's got one for you? What is it? I I don't recommend the Jesus juke there, but what does it look like to live that out in word and deed? Right now, I'm trying to rebuild our yard so that the neighbors would be like, oh my goodness, look at this yard. And I could be like, well, Jesus... Did I just justify our yard project? Karen's like face palming over there. What does it look like? I'm not here to give you all the answers today. I'm here to say, here's the mission. And it's a lot bigger than just attending a service. And I'm not saying that this service isn't important. This is a crucial part of our mission because what we do when we come together is we remember the good news. We remember that the only reason we have life is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And we are a forgetful people. So we need to gather together and hear from God's word and sing the word of God to one another. It's good to lift our hands because we look around and we go, the Holy Spirit is on the move. We need this service, but hear me. We need this service so that we can be fueled up for a week of worshiping Jesus all week long. This is not meant to be the end of what Pharaoh's church does. This is really, I would say, like the tip of the spear. 
That we come into this place that we hear from God's word, that we sing God's word together, we respond to God's word, and then we go out of here in the power of the spirit to live a life of worship and response to that word all week long. So we, one of the ways that it's been said that I think is helpful is that we gather in order to scatter across the valley and take the life and love that we learn about in this room to the corners of this valley. That's the mission that Jesus has given this church. And, and, and so in the, on the one hand, I would say, uh, is, is the life of Jesus already here? Statistically, there are many people that don't know life in Jesus' name. Um, but additionally, I would also say that for you and I, there are many Christians in this valley. Right? We celebrated last week at least 838 people have been baptized here, plus through the church plant over in Antioch. Now, I know some people have moved out of the area, but just give me a round number. There's hundreds of Christians here today that weren't because of Pharaoh's Oaks in the past. So I'm not saying it's not here, but here's my point. Even for those who believe in Jesus, like you and I, any honest assessment of our life would have to say, until the return of Christ, where he puts this old body that's marked by sin into the ground and gives us a new one, there will exist these tendencies, these areas to drift where uh, we are in need of more life from Jesus, where we need Jesus to step in and to say, son, I have more for you than that. Daughter, I have more for you than that. There's not a Christian in this room who's finished. If you're not dead yet, you're not done yet. Jesus is still working in your life to show you more and more of the life that he designed you for. And yes, when we get to eternity, it will be complete and we joy it forever. It's awesome, but here's the point. We need to bring the life of Jesus to one another. We need to encourage one another every day as long as it's called today so that we wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So that we wouldn't be tricked into missing out on the life Christ has for us now and show up in glory and be like, I wasted my entire life. And so the mission here, when we say to bring the life of Jesus to Diablo Valley, it's really one of, to use some church terms, evangelism and discipleship. We want to see new people meet Jesus and find life in his name. And of those of us who have trusted in Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, we want to experience more life, more life, more life in his name. And that's what this church has got to be here to do. And as we head into this new season with a fresh focus on this mission, that is what this icon is meant to be all about. Um, so I know, I know some of you are like, what's going on with all the t-shirts? Maybe that's not my graphic design style. I want to explain the why behind this, um, because I don't think graphic design in and of itself has any power. Um, but I do think that as we're forgetful people, as we build in things to remember, the Holy Spirit can light that on fire and use it for great purposes. So let me explain this. Um, I have something in here to explain this. That's right. Okay. My hope is we head into a fresh season of ministry where we've got a clear sense of our mission. And it's big. It's expansive. It's all of life. My hope is that this icon might be a reminder to tether us to that mission. Because I said it earlier, we're forgetful people. We drift from our purpose. We drift from Jesus. And so my hope is that this might remind you of uh, two things, really. Um, number one, I want this to remind us that Jesus is the life giver. Um, I want us to uh, look at this and think of ourselves like this tree right here in the middle. 
All right, we don't want to be like our oak tree in the winter months. I was just looking back at some photos of when we were meeting outside. It was a really beautiful time. There's not a leaf on that tree. It's dead. It's dying. We don't want our li- we don't want to go out and have our neighbors see us and be like, "Man, they are just dying on the vine there." Uh, we don't, and I don't think you want to like live a life that they're like. I mean, they're physically breathing, but I'm not sure they really are alive. Um, we want to be like this tree here. Um, that is drawing on the life of Jesus, that is receiving the true and lasting life that he died to bring us, that daily is coming to him by faith and receiving what he has given us, what he has done for us, and how he wants to lead us into life so that we might be a tree that overflows with this obnoxious, green, bright, vivacious life. That's the idea. This is meant to depict kind of like an abstract version of our oak tree, I would say, in like spring or summer. Um, or in heaven, um, because I'm pretty sure there's not going to be any rain or winter in heaven, but that's, that's really another tangent I can't get into right now. The point is, this icon is meant to represent a tree that is drawing on the life of God and as a result is fully alive, has these bright green leaves that are um, sapped with the fullness of what God has designed us for. And that as we draw on the life of Jesus, we not only experience true life in his name, but that that life begins to spread beyond us, outside of us, to the community around us. That's, that's all that we're trying to um, say here, that we want to be a church that draws on the life of Jesus, hence we are full of green, and then spreads the life of Jesus across the valley, hence why the green is colored outside the lines, if you will, here. And and my hope, like I said, is that as you see this icon, um, that it can be a reminder of two things. Number one, that Jesus is the life giver, that the Father sent the Son to be the life giver. And I I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but let let me just preach for a minute and not explain the logo. Um, That we find life... Not because we're smarter than the community around us. Um, Certainly that's not the case. Um, That we find life because the Father sent the Son into the world to show us the life that we were all made for. And um, we have eternal life um, not because we're better than anybody. um, And not even because Jesus at the end of a perfect life said, Okay guys, your turn. Follow my example and you can have true life. Jesus didn't come into the world to give us an example and critique us for all the ways that we fall short. Jesus came into the world to show us the life that we are made for. And at the end of his perfect life, rather than critique us for all the ways that we would fail to do it, Jesus himself, driven by love, went to another tree. And on the cross of Calvary, he dies in our place to remove the sin that stands between us and the author of life so that we can have true life in Jesus' name. And so the only reason we have any life is not because of the tree that is fair oaks drawing on Jesus, because on a tree 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his life to give us eternal life. And so my hope is maybe in some wild sense that as we see this, the Holy Spirit can fire up in us that Jesus is the life giver, that Jesus is the life bringer, that for all the ways I fall short and want to condemn myself, he's not up in heaven going, what are you doing, dummy? He is sending his Holy Spirit to say, I have more life for you than that. Don't don't feel condemned by that sin. I've already paid for that. You don't get to feel condemned for what I paid for, but you do get to follow me into life. 
So my hope is that it might fire you up to remember that Jesus is the life giver and he gives me life by grace and he has more life for me than I even know right now. And that as you begin to be filled up afresh with the love of God, my hope is that this icon might remind you that as the Father has sent the Son to be the life giver, so he sends you and I to spread that life beyond our borders into parts of Diablo Valley that don't yet know the life. Um, that's the mission. And, um, and the reason I spend some time laying this before you today uh, is because that is not a mission that we can do with just a Sunday service. Again, this is crucial. This is important to what we do. But this is the kind of mission, if we're going to bring the life of Jesus to Diablo Valley, that we all have to participate in. That um, the, the staff here can't spread across Diablo Valley all week, but you can. We can take the life and love of Jesus to the ends of Diablo Valley. And, and here's how the New Testament goes. From this valley to the ends of the earth as we continue to send missionaries and Lord willing have kids raised here that meet Jesus and get sent out. But... Um, I lay all of this before you because I want to invite you to join in and play your part. And what we're going to do is next week we're going to talk about specifics. Otherwise, that would be way too long of a sermon. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at what does it specifically and practically look like? How do we together bring the life of Jesus to Diablo Valley? So we're going to look at that next week. I want to invite you to come back. We're going to look at that. It'll be a real family discussion where we kind of gather up and say, what does it look like? to be the church here in this coming season. So, so that's coming um, next week. But as we land the plane, um, I just want to leave you with this. Um, that we printed a bunch of stickers of this icon. Um, and I want to encourage you to take these stickers. They're in the lobby. You can grab them after service. Um, I want to grab you, encourage you to grab two. Stick it on your water bottle. Stick it on your laptop. Stick it on your car if you're that kind of person. No, no judgment if you are. Because um, this icon might remind you of those two things we talked about. That Jesus is the life giver and you have eternal life in his name right now. In spite of anything you've done, he's got more life for you right now. And that as you realize that, he's got a mission for you to bring that life wherever you are. This is the eradication of boredom. This is the eradication of joylessness. We're going to talk all about the details next week. I just want to leave you with this to encourage you to grab one of these icons um, to remember that our mission, it starts with Jesus and his mission to us. And the only way that we will have the power to make known the life of Jesus in this valley is if we are experiencing the life of Jesus. You can't lead people where you're not currently going. You can't make known a life that you don't know or maybe haven't tasted in 10 or 20 years. And so what I want to encourage you to do is take one of these icons and let it be a reminder to enjoy the life that Christ has for you. Because that's the only way we'll be empowered to play our part in the mission, which we're going to talk about next week. Um, I just want to end with some hopes. Um, I was thinking about this week. I was like, can you imagine if we were a church that committed ourselves to this mission like they did 65 years ago? Um, To, to not just go through the motions of life or church, but to say we're here for a purpose and we've got to get this good news out. They started with 37 members. You know we have three times that right now? 
So I'm just thinking like, what might we see over the next 65 years? How might this valley change? How might that image look different 65 years from now if Jesus decides to tarry for that long? What might it look like as we give ourselves to this? Um, I don't know what it'll look like, but I'll tell you what you see in the New Testament where the people of God give themselves to this mission, Jesus shows up in profound ways. Um, At the start of our Ephesians series, we looked at how um, uh, entire industries that were built on sin and injustice and oppression and evil were overturned, not because the church was grouchy and griped at the government about it, but because the church made known the life of Jesus that went so far beyond that, that the people actually responded by saying, okay, we're going to burn the things that connect us to our old life to have a greater life in Jesus' name, that as the church makes known the life and the love of Jesus. Jesus shows up to do profound things that we sit back and go, oh, well, that's unrealistic. We could never see those things shut down voluntarily in our day. And I would just say, you got to read your New Testament. This is what Jesus does. And so I don't know the specifics of what it looks like, but I believe with all of my heart that he wants more life for this valley than we currently have. He wants more life for you and I than we currently have. And I believe with all of my heart that as we press in to know the life giver and to spread that life to this valley, we will taste of a kind of life. We will see a kind of story written here that our grandkids will look back on 65 years from now and recount that story and be like, it's a God-sized story. Because those people didn't know what they were doing, but look at what Jesus did. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? Let me pray for us. Um, Father, I thank you for simple truths, for, for your love for us that is so simple that a child can memorize this verse, and yet an inexhaustible truth. Um, thank you for being a life-giving God that um, loves and is pleased um, to share your life and your fullness with us. Thank you for um, sending your son so that we might have eternal life in his name. I pray um, that you would send your Holy Spirit right now uh, to make that truth real to us, that you would give, uh, if there are no, people that don't know Jesus, I pray that you would make some Christians this morning, that they would come to know eternal life in his name. Um, and for those of us who do know Jesus, I pray that you would uh, spark in us a greater desire to drink from the well of eternal life he has given us this morning. Would you, Holy Spirit, draw us near to the life you have offered us in Jesus Christ and out of an overflow of joy in life, would you make this, continue to make this a church that spreads that life across this valley. We love you. We trust you in the beautiful name of Jesus, I ask.